Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Mitch Light joins us in today's episode as we will talk Vanderbilt baseball. The news today presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at sbinjurylaw.com. Vanderbilt defeats Florida International on Tuesday night in the last midweek game of the baseball season. That by a score of 20-4. Commodore score 13 in the second inning. Christian Little goes four and two-thirds innings, gets a win. Commodores get home runs from Spencer Jones and Alan Espinall. Vanderbilt's next games come Thursday, Friday, and Saturday against Kentucky. The guest line presented by my good friends Scott and Missy Tannen at Bolin Branch. Go to BolinBranch.com, enter the promo code VANDY, get $50 off your first set of sheets. You will thank me later. This is why. I have slept on Bolin Branch sheets for about seven years now. The nights that I have not slept on Bolin Branch sheets when I'm sleeping at somebody else's house in a hotel, whatever, you notice a big difference. You sleep much better on those sheets. Those sheets are made of 100% organic cotton. They are rain-fed. I don't know why it makes a difference, but I know it does because I can feel it in the way that I sleep every night. Anyway, go to BolinBranch.com. Enter the promo code VANDY. Get $50 off your first set. Try them risk-free for 30 days. You can send it back, but trust me, you're not going to want to. Go to BowlingBranch.com today. Check their sheets out, and you will see soon enough why I have sworn by them for years now. Mitch Light joins us. He is a college football editor at The Athletic. Of course, he has followed Vanderbilt and Vanderbilt baseball for Many moons now. Mitch, last night, uh, I've seen a lot of games in Hawkins Field, but I hadn't seen one quite like what we saw on Tuesday night against Florida International. Yeah, it was uh, d- definitely a, a unique game. I was uh, out running some errands, was listening to Kevin Ingram uh, call the first couple innings. I was listening when, when Carter Young got hurt. Um, we can talk about that in a minute. And then I kind of settled in, got home, and wasn't really paying that much attention during the big inning. And it looked like, you know, Vanderbilt at first in that what 10 run inning or whatever it was, there were some seeing eye base hits, a squibber here. The pitcher picked up maybe a ball that was going to go foul. So you're thinking, wow, this is some bad luck for FIU. But then it turned into a uh, line drive after a line drive. So uh, Vanderbilt did not get cheated in, in that inning. And just, uh, you know, kind of once the ball gets rolling in a game like that, um, it was uh, obviously over soon and, uh, you know, just it, it I guess it beats the alternative. A win is a win in those. And, and you, you never look back at midweek games and and really look at the margin that much because weird things happen. You know, Vanderbilt beat what North Alabama, the worst team on their schedule, four, three or three, two the week before. Uh, but also you, you can't take those wins for granted. Look what happened to Ole Miss last night. Lost to uh, UT Martin. Um and who was LSU in a huge game for them, lost, uh, lost to um, who Western they State. Yeah, so uh, again, you know, can't take those for, for granted. And you, you, you'd much prefer to score 20 runs than four runs against a bad team in a midweek game. You know, I don't know how much carry that over there is when, when you, you step up and pitching in an SEC game, but it's, it's obviously good to make a lot of good contact. Well, I don't know what the numbers are, but 
the fact that they have now, since that Austin P game, that would have been two years ago, February of 2019. So that's yep. been, what, 27 months now? And granted, they lost a lot of their midweek schedule last year for COVID. So it's not apples to apples, but whatever the string is, they've lost one of their last, I don't know, 30-something midweek games or, heck, it's more than that, isn't it? Yeah, and it's, I mean, technically Louisville's obviously a midweek game, but I just look at that differently. That's like a, a power, you know, that's a good opponent. Midweek, when I think midweek, it's just sort of like inferior opponents that you need to beat and you, you beat them. So, you know, again, obviously Louisville is a midweek game. But, yeah, and there, there's there's some years where Vanderbilt's had some good teams and was just couldn't get good midweek pitching. You know, lost to Belmont twice in a year, lost to Lipscomb, just could just – I think maybe one year recently, what, lost four or five straight Tuesday games? Yeah, yeah. And, and to the other side of your argument, Mitch, I mean, you say, well, Louisville's not a, a midweek game, and I know what you mean by that, right? What you mean is yeah. you're usually playing an OVC team or, or somebody like that, or Missouri Valley, and it's not the same. But there have been some good teams mixed in there, here and there. And I know that, uh, let's see, who was South Alabama, they took two from USA a year ago. That was a team that was a had the thing played out, maybe an NCAA tournament team. So there have been some nice wins in there too. But even if sure. they weren't, I mean, it's just hard to to beat anybody that many games in a row. And, and like, here's a good example: like Fairfield. I don't think anybody thinks Fairfield's better than a three seed at best. But and I know that the MAC, the MAAC, isn't a good baseball conference. But goodness, they have won. Let me check it. 33 or 34 games this year heading into the conference tournament. And, I mean, that's hard. You put Vanderbilt in the MAAC, and it's hard to do. So just winning that many in a row, it says a lot about focus and execution. Yeah, I think focus, because college baseball is unique in that regard. You know, in other leagues, you know, your football, once you start league play, you're going to step out every once in a while, and you might play an FCS opponent or a lower level. But football is a different animal because it's only once a week, and you know it's easier to get motivated. But college baseball, I mean, you get you have intense SEC series where you're facing some first round pitching or some elite players, and then two days later, you know you're playing a night game um, against a team that you know that you know that that might have one or two guys who could even make your roster. And it's just, that's kind of, that's where the focus comes in and get ready. So it's it's not shocking when some teams lose these midweek games or it's not shocking when Vanderbilt beats a North Alabama 3-2 or a 4-3. Um, so that's kind of what makes this streaky, streak even more impressive. I want to go back to the second inning in which Vanderbilt scored 13 runs. And when we talk about the randomness of baseball and drawing conclusions from things, this is the kind of thing we mean, okay? That inning starts last night with Parker Nolan getting infield single. If I remember this correctly, I believe the second baseman was playing back and it was a slow grounder. Yeah. I could be wrong, but Parker beats it out. Frankly, from where I sat and we're still in the stands, It and I'm, I didn't have a – a great view of it uh, from where I was, but my gut, if you said your life hinges on this and what's the call, I thought he was out, but again, I didn't have a great view I of the bag. Well, but point, point is it was, it was close, right? It was really yeah, close. Yeah. They, they, and, and when they took it to replay, they didn't spend a long time. So that tells me that was the right call. But point is, I mean, you know, a couple inches here or there and, and the outcome's different. And, and let's just, let's just say 
the throw beats him or, or whatever, and, and he's out, okay? This is the way that inning unfolds. Ground out to Nolan. Uh, Thomas flies to right. Jones gets a double. Colwick walks. So you got first and second at that point with two outs. Um, Romero singles. That loaded the bases. Now they might have sent a guy in that spot. They probably would have. So they probably score a run. And then Leneve strikes out. So instead of a 13-run inning, uh, they probably get one. And, and the complexion of the game is totally different. Instead, uh, Nolan reaches on that infield single. And when Leneve strikes out, 10 more guys hit. And they end up with another 10 runs from that point on. Uh, it just was a crazy inning. It is not often you see a team bat an entire 10 turns through the order without anybody making an out, but that's what happened. Yeah. I mean, it's just that just baseball can be a weird sport and going back to the Sunday game against Ole Miss, I was actually uh, in and out to help my parents do some things, but after Carter Young's home run, Vanderbilt gets two guys on. I forgot who it was. Was it, you know, sounded like in the car, someone had a, a line drive right to an outfielder. If that gets in the gap and keeps the rally going. I mean, so this is obvious stuff. I and mean, if you watch baseball, there's a lot of hard hit balls, hit right at people, but uh, it's, it's it's a sport that involves a lot of luck, just kind of the bounce of the ball. Let's talk about the lineup. Um, it's been interesting. I've said this before. It's not often that you get this deep into a season and they're not really settled on where they're going to go. I think at this point, though, it seems like left field is Troy Leneve's job. Yeah, I would say so. And as much as, you know, it probably pains, you know, Corbs to not play the senior, um, Cooper Cooper Davis, um, Leneve's hitting the ball hard. He missed another home run by what, you know, they, the replay wasn't great, but look, you, you might have had a better view out if you were at the game by a few feet. Um, just seems to hit uh, hit the ball hard, and it's not a case of him feasting on bad pitching. He's done it against good pitching, too. So I, I don't know how you keep Leneve out of the lineup. Um, you know, there could be some, you know, looks like Spencer Jones is kind of settling in as a DH. I don't know if there's going to be a, a Bolger-Jones platoon there, but uh, I would agree that Leneve looks like he's got left field. Yeah, the Bolger-Jones platoon was where I was going to go next at DH because Bolger finally got off the bench last night. There's been a minor injury there that's kept him out for, what, a, I guess a week and a half. I'd have to think about the last time he played. But you've got a left-handed option in Jones. You've got a right-handed option in Bolger. Jones has really started to come around with the bat. He hit that rocket out in Oxford, just missed another one in the ninth inning of the game three uh, where it was a warning track fly ball off the bat. I thought it was out. The announcers did too. Last night he doubles and that was scorched. He hits a home run to the opposite field, which you always like to see that happen for a hitter. So he had a really good night. And then when Bolger came in, he singled and walked. So I think that you are potentially setting up a pretty competitive situation where you can mix it match at DH with those two guys. But the wild card, and I want to get to Carter Young's situation in a minute, Mitch, because that's going to dictate some other things. And by the yeah. way, uh, quick spoiler alert, I think the news there is going to be better maybe than people are expecting. But let's just say for argument's sake that a chain of events happens with Young or somebody else. Gonzalez 
could be in the mix, why Gonzalez could be in the mix at third again, as he was last night, because when Young got hurt, they moved Colwick to second, they moved Nolan from third to second, and then they put Gonzalez in off the bench. So depending on what plays out, I mean, Gonzalez could also be a third option, either at third or DH. Yeah, and, um, you know, obviously the, the Carter Young situation hurts if he's not in the lineup, hurts offensively and defensively. You're moving guys around. You know, Colwick has looked like he's really settling in second base. I'm not saying he can't play shortstop, but you're, you're, you're moving him to probably not his most natural position. Then you're moving Nolan to not his most natural position. So it kind of is it's a chain of events there. I think from a bat standpoint, um, They've got enough bats. Obviously, you don't want to take out your leading home run hitter and a guy who's been clutch this year, um, but it would just kind of shake things up defensively a lot. The other thing that I'm watching is catcher, where C.J. Rodriguez did not get off the bench last night except to catch uh, between innings and warm-up tosses. Frankly, he I'd say he looks tired, but it's something because he doesn't look like the same guy. He's been taking foul balls off the mask and blocking pitches and getting hit. And just the wear and tear of catching anyway is really something. So they've needed to get him some rest. The problem has been Max Romero has also been banged up. I think it's a, a leg issue, but I'm not certain. It was, ham- it was hamstring. Well, so Okay, I was right about that. It yeah, was hamstring. Which is part of the leg, obviously. Well, and here's the thing. Okay, last week they used Dom Keegan to catch because they needed to give somebody a break somewhere. Well, I figured that what that meant was that Alan Espinal, a lot of times they send those kids home to, to play summer ball or whatever. So I just figured Espinal wasn't even on the roster anymore and they don't release those. Well, lo and behold, that kid enters the game last night, hits an absolute bomb out to left. So I don't know if he factors in at any point. Again, to me, it is your primary need if you're Vanderbilt is just to get your team rested heading into NCAA play. I, I think that Wins and Hoover are nice but they are way down the list of what this team needs. And the catching situation is one that I'm really monitoring. Yeah, they getting Romero back is obviously huge because um, they, CJ had been catching pretty much every SEC game, and then they clearly were going to give him a break in the Florida series uh, playing Romero, and then Romero got hurt in the game, and then CJ had to come back, and it tells you how much they wanted to rest him. Like you mentioned, that they put Dom behind the plate there. So I, I think, you know, I, I don't know what the situation is, but I'd be shocked if Romero didn't catch at least one game this weekend, maybe TJ more rest there. Um, it's a very difficult position. I'm tr- trying to blank. Who was the catcher in, in 07? Uh, Shea Robin. Yeah. I, I, and I could be wrong here, but I remember, I don't know what the depth situation there is. I just remember specifically because I had real close seats up for those regionals and in Shea Robin, I think we could look this up caught, a bunch of games in a row and kind of wore down towards the end of the year. And it, maybe he was just in a slump, but I just remember thinking to myself, you know, that's a lot of games for a guy to catch. And I wonder if he's just not hitting cause he's tired. And, and for most, you know, a lot of other Vanderbilt teams, they've had depth at catcher position, obviously on the first national championship team, um, had two catchers of the platoon, uh, 2019 team, obviously, uh, yeah, you had some different options there. So, um, you know, I, I think we've seen enough from Max Romero, Maxwell Romero, that he can hit, and he is a viable starting catcher in the SEC. So it'd be interesting to see what they do, you know, down the stretch. But like I said, I'd be shocked if CJ does not get some rest. 
Yeah, 07, I don't even remember who their backup catcher was because Shea caught so much. I know Gioby was on that roster, and he came to yeah, Vanderbilt as a catcher, yeah. but he didn't even play that year. He redshirted. Yeah. So I can't think. Carter Hawkins, I think, was gone by then. And Brian Hernandez, I think, was the was catcher gone. before Shea, but he had graduated. Yeah. I couldn't even tell you who the backup on that team was, which explains a lot. Because I I noticed, too, that I remember that year that Shea used to be a guy that could give you five or six home runs a year and some doubles, and his power just kind of disappeared, which I'm guessing was a, just a product of a, a lack of playing time or, or, or too much playing time. Yeah, I'm looking. I Googled it, too. That. It's, not the, it's on a different site. It's not from the Vanderbilt site. Um, Giovi obviously was on the roster. Carter Hawkins was on the roster, but never really played. Jay Moreland, don't remember him. Yeah. Shay Robin, like there's literally not another guy in the on the the roster that I think caught much. So, um, yeah, that's uh, I don't know why that that just always stuck in my mind. It's just like because it gets obviously it gets hot in those regional games, and you and that's the year they played. Um, yeah, was that the year they they won the SEC tournament after losing the first yes. game? Yeah, they so beat they Arkansas in the title game. Yep. Yeah, I don't know if Shay caught all those games. There was a doubleheader on Saturday there, so. Um, it's uh, obviously good to have some depth at that position. Yeah, and it, with the stat sheet in front of me, I'm going to guess that Carter Hawkins got more reps than Moreland, but I could be wrong. Yeah, so by the way, former, uh, do you remember Josh Lee? Yes, he ended up playing at Lipscomb, which by the way, so did Jay Moreland. Moreland transferred yeah. to Lipscomb after being at Vanderbilt. He, he came, well, Moreland came from good pasture locally, yeah. just as a, an Josh, aside. Josh Lee is uh, some a good friend of mine. Goes kids go to Greater Atlanta Christian in Atlanta, obviously outside of Atlanta, and he's just named the head coach there. Interesting. Speaking of uh, former Commodores, I think Aaron Brown had a big year at MTSU this year. He did. He did. Um, I think his. I, I looked up his numbers midseason. It was really weird. Like he had a high ERA, but his other numbers were incredible. Like his hits, innings, pitch, and strikeouts, and stuff like that. Um, I don't know what the situation was with him. I don't think he was a guy. I think he was a guy that maybe just left because he didn't see an innings future for himself. But uh, I always thought, you know, he didn't get a lot of chances as a freshman, but I always thought he looked pretty good when he got in there. Yeah, I did too. And I wonder, I, I, without looking at the stats, the ball gets out pretty quickly at, at Middles Park. So, you know, you can you can throw strikes and pitch well and, and not always get rewarded for that. So, yeah. Um, See the numbers. He had a 4.12 ERA. He had 107 strikeouts, 13 walks, and 78 and two thirds innings. And yeah, there you go. 12 home runs. That was the culprit. That's what I would have guessed. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So good stuff. Obviously, good season. Um, and uh, you know they they well, they were kind of 500ish, weren't they? They were 23-27-1. I, I guess they qualified for the conference tournament. I, I don't know how Conference USA does it. Think, I think uh, they beat FIU this past weekend. And yeah. uh, I think those maybe on the TV broadcast, Max might have said that those two teams were kind of battling it out for, um, for, for a spot in the CUSA tournament. Was, uh, so was FIU season over at last, after last yeah. night? Yes. Yeah. That was you, their last game. You wonder about a team in that spot. Um, how how motivated are they to play? Do they just want to go home? I saw a lot of swings well, early in the count, but their pitcher, you're right, their pitcher was one of their weekend guys, their starter. Yeah, he, he threw, uh, he pitched Saturday. He, I think he threw 80-something pitches or more than that. He was going on two days rest. 
Oh so, man, yeah, that's that's a bad spot to put a kid in. But he was, um, man, he was ninety five out of the gate. Yeah, I mean, Max was talking on the broadcast that he was a, I think he's a junior that you know was maybe his last appearance that he was potential draft pick. Yeah, I mean, he looked like his stuff was good. I don't know if the fastball was flat or it was just predictable. In fact, the the reliever Figueroa, I think his name, that, that threw and looked like he had good stuff too. He was, I think, fourth or fifth on their team in innings pitched. I guess he was their long guy out of the pen. So it's not like um, it's not like they threw just into the staff guys all night. Right, right. But you know, it's sort of like you 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 said earlier. There's some uh, could have been, could have gotten out of that inning, and then once the ball got rolling, and and um, you know, it's hitting. Obviously, it can be a little contagious there, and you know Vanderbilt's got good hitting, and and if if guys aren't the other team aren't on, pitcher lose a little confidence. It's going to be a, a line drive after line drive. The guy who I think is hitting really well, and I don't know that he gets talked about enough, is Parker Noland. I just like his approach the last three or four weeks. I asked Tim Corbin the question about him last night, and he talked about how Mike Baxter had worked with him about the angle at which he holds his bat, about, I think, some things with his hands. But whatever they've done, the thing that I like about his approach is he's harder to defend now because he will take the ball the opposite way an awful lot. Yes. Yeah, I think it dates back to, I mean, I'm sure it dates back before this, but his home, big home run against Georgia in the eighth inning was was opposite field. And just thinking, it seems like most of, how many home runs does he have? He has seven. I mean, what would you say? It seems like four or five of them are opposite field at yeah. least. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, no, definitely. I mean, there, there's really not a, I mean, it's not the best lineup we've ever seen, but I don't, it's a lineup that, that it's just, we've, we've talked a lot about this, Chris. There's just a lot of depth to it. It's not like you're thinking, okay, seven, eight, nine's up. You know, this is, you, you just hope to get to the top of the order. So, you know, it's just uh, guys are hitting up and down the lineup and, you know, um, Isaiah Thomas, I don't know if you can have a quiet 340 and 11 home runs. Um, maybe it's because where he bats in the lineup and so much attention has been given to Bradfield and Carter Young's home runs. I just, for, for a guy who's a preseason All-American, I still feel like he's hitting a quiet 340. Maybe that's just me. Well, part of it's his season has had some stops and starts yes. to it. So, I mean, like if he doesn't do that, maybe he's hit 15, 16 home runs and yeah. He's more at the forefront of discussions because he's among the home run leaders. And, I mean, to my way of thinking, that's probably what it is. Yeah. I mean, in SEC games, he's missed. He's played 19 of 26, I guess, and he's hitting 347 in SEC games, slugging 708. Yeah. And that's he's crushed the ball. I mean, they, they pointed out the other day – Gosh, I can't remember who the color commentator was. I think this was Sunday about how one of the balls that he hit out to dead center, he didn't get all of. That kid has just got amazing raw power. Yes, yes. And it was, we kind of saw it in glimpses as a freshman when he was putting some spot starts with some injuries and then got up to a good start last year and then, you know, kind of seen him put it together and just, you know, obviously, you know, especially with what happens with Carter, um, Carter's bat in there, but they'll, they'll need his production, need his power. You know, one other thing, a kid that hasn't played a lot lately, but I understand can flat out hit, and he kind of showed it last night, was Jack O'Dowd. I'm very interested to see where he fits in with them next year. And even if he is a guy that maybe makes the travel roster to Omaha if they make it or on a regional, because that's a kid that, and I guess they've got a lot of these right now, because, again, you got this log jam at DH, you got the Gonzalez situation 
you got a guy like Cooper Davis who's out there if Leneva's not, and, and maybe he's too far down the pecking order but because of defense or whatever. But I would be very interested to see if he finds an at-bat or two in postseason in the right spot because that kid clearly is very talented. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've heard good things too. And if it were if Carter was earlier in the year and let's say it was a situation where Carter was going to miss, you know, three weeks or something like that, if he would find us a, a start or two at shortstop at this point in the season, I'd be sh- you know shocked if that happened. Just go with the veterans because the games mean so much more. Um, but yeah, and there was uh, I, I had a question. You might know this. What what are the chances Tate Colwick's back as a senior? You think? I would think they're good because. Yeah, I- I have no yeah. idea what it's the scouts. I just, for a guy who has not played a lot of baseball up until this year because of, you know, he didn't break into the lineup as a freshman. And then, you know, last year, I, I could see him coming back next year. Yeah, I think that's a situation where the the baseball is probably marginal at this point because I think he's a good second baseman. In fact, he's been really good at times, yeah. but he just hasn't had enough reps to build a reputation. The draft is only 20 rounds this year. He's at a spot where he can come back, and I could see Tate hitting 13, 14, 15 bombs next year, playing really good defense at second. You can probably get your degree or get a lot closer by coming back. To me, that's one where – and Ethan Paul is not a great comp because Ethan had accomplished a lot more at this stage of his career, but Ethan was in a spot to where he behooved himself a lot to come back uh, and that turned out well for him. And I can see Colwick in that situation to a much bigger degree where coming back, I think, helps him. Yeah, I totally agree. I think if he you know, stayed healthy and solidified a position in the lineup, he could have a, a really big senior season. Yeah, and that might be a thing where if you're Tim Corbin, you're thinking, let's get your shortstop some rest next year because Carter Young almost never comes off the field. And if you let Colwick handle second – that or excuse me, short maybe in in the eighth and ninth innings of a thirteen to one game, that gives you a chance if you take Colwick to show the scouts a little versatility, which I think in the spot he's going to be in, that would only help. Yeah, he can play some outfield too. So hey, yeah, and, and that also, yeah. This season of the podcast brought to you by Jody Jones DDS. Jody, a former Commodore football player and a current football booster. Jody's practice is at 55 Music Square East in downtown Nashville. Go visit Dr. Jones. You will see why he is the trusted dentist of athletes, coaches, movie stars, music stars. Jody's simply the best cosmetic and general dentistry guy in the Nashville area. And the environment is just amazing. It is really a spa-like atmosphere. It is unlike any dentist office you've ever been in or probably will ever be in. Anyway, Jody's a great guy. Please go in and give him some business. Tell him you heard about it on the Vandy Sports Podcast. He's a guy that made this season of the podcast possible, so be sure and let him know you appreciate his support of the Vandy Sports Podcast. Mitch, in baseball, of course, weird things happen in small samples, but they've now scored... 43 runs in their last three games. I would have to go back and look at 2019, but I'm not even sure that team had that kind of production in a three-game stretch. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, You know, and as you said, those three games came after scoring one run against a, you know, a a good pitcher who had a great game. So 
it tells you it's such a game to game sport too. Uh, you can get shut down one day and and just, I mean, it's all sports co- coaching cliches, but you just come back the next day and you, you don't know what's going to happen. But yeah, it just goes back to what we keep saying. It's just there's there's depth throughout the lineup, and then there's depth where you can bring guys off the bench and someone gets a minor injury. Um, you know, they 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 go three or four deep off the bench where there's guys you still feel good about. Well, and the narrative about this team has been that they really turn it on when exams are over. It seems to me like exams ended later this year than they normally do. And, of course, you got Doug McKaysey shutting them down at Ole Miss. They get one run, although they had some chances on the table and some near misses with home runs and stuff like that. But, that again, that's baseball. They got the breaks that way last night. But it does seem, again, that when you take away all that other stuff – this team plays its best baseball, and whether it's just coincidence or running into bad pitching or whatever it is, uh, here we are with this offense really on a heater heading into a series against a Kentucky staff that, frankly, has not pitched very well. In fact, I'm going to look this up. Kentucky has given up 188 runs in league play. Uh, By contrast, Vanderbilt's given up 120. That is... Fourth from the bottom, excuse me, third from the bottom in the league, because that would rank Kentucky 12th. Um, And, oh, by the way, Kentucky hasn't played Arkansas or Vanderbilt yet, Um, nor did it play Ole Miss, which, uh, and it did play Tennessee. But so probably three of the top four hitting teams in the league, Kentucky has not faced. Right. And, you know, I think we're still unsure about Vanderbilt's pitching depth in the Sunday, you know, situation you go from Patrick Riley and uh, pitching great one week to, to not the next week. They're, even if they don't pitch well on that third starter day, they're not going to give up 10 run innings. That's an aberration. So you feel good about the offense, even if you're the, even if the, the pitching gives up four, five, six runs against another team's third pitcher, um, you know, they're going to score enough runs to win most weeks. I know they're this is the last true series they're going to face until they get to the super regionals where you're playing the same team three games in a row. But um, I, I think the offense is, has been good enough to overcome the lack of certainty in the pitching depth. Yes, I would agree. And I, hopefully there's more certainty with the pitching depth once they get to, to regional play, but that's another topic for another day. Final thing before we end today, Mitch, Carter Young situation last night, he, gets gunned down stealing and I didn't see exactly what happened because he got caught stealing. I saw the the tag applied and I I looked down to score it, but I guess his I don't know if his shoulder came out of joint or something happened when he grabbed the bag sliding by, was down on the field for a couple of minutes, looked like he was in obvious pain. Frankly it sucked all the life out of the stadium. And I wondered how they would respond. Uh, Of course, they put up a 13 spot (laughs) within a few minutes of that, which was, again, uh, given what had happened, was very surprising. But Tim Corbin last night said that he wasn't feeling any pain. I got a little intel on that privately that I think was encouraging. I mean, look, I wouldn't be surprised if they hold him out this weekend. Just, I I don't know if, if there's some... Just precautionary stuff. I mean, who knows, right? But Tim Corbin said he wasn't in any pain, uh, which tracked with some things I heard privately through another channel last night. Uh, he was in the dugout uh, with the sling on. He he was upright. He was engaged. The dugout seemed loose. So 
I think that our worst concerns about Carter Young, and, and frankly, um, and this probably teaches us a lot about not jumping to conclusions, but I think from watching that whole scene and just the hush around the ballpark and the look on everybody's faces, I mean, that just to me had like season-ending injury written all over it. But I think this is going to have a happier ending uh, than what everybody feared when it happened. Yeah, I mean, it's we're still speculating right now because we're doing this even before, I guess, Tim Corbin's having a media availability. And, you know, with the way they deal with injuries, we won't even know if they'll say anything. Um, there's a lot of different kind of shoulder injuries, and we've seen sports enough to know that when a guy walks off like he does holding the shoulder, there's it can be bad. And I guess it's just there's a separation, there's dislocation, there's all sorts of things where you can pop it, you know, one of them you can pop it back in. And um, But I, this is all speculation and that's kind of what we do. But the fact that he was still in uniform and had a sling on to me seemed like a good, a good news. Like it wasn't like they took him over to the hospital and, and had x-rays and he came back wearing like a, you know, just a venerable t-shirt or something like that. Who knows? Um, but uh, you know, it, it obviously y- you hope for the best there. Um, just a situation where I think he's just slid into second pretty hard with the lead with the left hand. And, you know, when you're obviously just, you're just sliding hard and you stick your hand out there, you know, you're surprised it almost doesn't happen more. And that's kind of a dangerous thing to do there. So, you know, hopefully maybe today, maybe soon we'll, we'll, we'll learn more information. Well, and the other good news is I believe that was his left arm, which is his yeah. non-throwing arm, which, you know, look, <laughs> you need both shoulders to play baseball, but, that would be good news, um, you know, at least if it's not the throwing arm. I would think that helps you a little bit. It probably makes it a little bit easier to play through a little bit of pain or discomfort, if that even is is an issue, which it may not be. Frankly, I think what happened is, you know, you, you slide into a bag like that, you you feel a little bit of pain or discomfort or whatever. You freak out thinking the worst because we've all seen a shoulder pop out or something like that in that situation uh, where a guy misses two or three months, well, and, and look, in that situation, your postseason's gone. Your summer ball might be gone. So uh, maybe there was just a little bit of, um, you know, natural thinking the worst on a player's part in that spot too. Yeah. I mean, again, we're, just, we're, we're, we're speculating here. We'll, we'll, we'll find out soon enough. Um, but, you know, I, I think if he didn't play this weekend and was ready for the SEC tournament, I think every you, you consider that a huge win. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And again, just get to Hoover, do what you need to do to keep your team healthy. If you win some games, great. But if you don't, I can't think of a year where this matters less than than this one. I have always thought, may, I might contradict myself with what I'm about to say here, but I've always thought, I've, you know, Hoover, it's sort of like when Vanderbilt first got good, you, you wanted to do, you wanted to see him do well in the tournament. It was fun. And I think Tim Corbin placed a big emphasis on it. Um, not so much anymore, not saying he doesn't place an emphasis, but just uh, kind of the way we all view it. But I always thought it was important to get your starters their spot in the rotation. Like you didn't want to, if you, if you didn't have a buy, you didn't want to lose that first game and then have your, your, your weekend guys go full two weeks without starting. I know they get bullpen work and all that, but it's not the same this year with Jack Leiter's situation, you know, give me a week off. Maybe it's not the end of the world if they if if Jack Leiter doesn't pitch in Hoover there. So uh, you you can find positives and negatives uh, in both scenarios. But I always thought it was good at least to get three games in. You get that to to get your your weekend guys some work. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ways we can go. This I think that you probably throw 
your starters as close to your normal routine as possible. And, and frankly, I don't know that I'd go over 65 or 70 pitches with either one of them. They know workloads and stuff. I mean, I, I say that. I, one thing I do question is if you look back early in the year, did they really need to throw those guys as long as they did in some of those out-of-conference starts or maybe against Missouri with the big lead? That's the one thing I maybe question a little bit with how they've managed this. But to me, I, I make a decision about Rocker and Lighter. I keep them on a pitch count. I only throw them um, if you really need the arms or if, if they need to get in work anyway. Like These kids are going to be throwing – whether they're playing in Hoover or not with bullpen. So maybe I track that in games as closely as to what they would do privately. But I think, to me, this is an opportunity to get a Christian Little some confidence, to maybe get Patrick Riley some confidence, to maybe get Thomas Schultz some confidence in a ballpark that's very forgiving. And that way you can really get something out of it. Maybe you find out a little bit more about who you can trust uh, in a bigger ballpark, which they're going to be playing in a lot. So that's the other thing is it's not just resting those guys, but it is is maybe trying to find some things with the other guys in a positive developmental way. Yeah, no, I agree. They'll fit, you know, this isn't their first rodeo. They'll figure it out. They'll do what's best for the for the starters. And there, there's some, definitely a lot of guys, they, they want to get some work. So, um, you know, I guess you, you can look at the standings and do the math. Vanderbilt's in obviously good shape to 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 get that by. Um, the the lack of a game screws up all the tiebreakers and stuff there. But uh, I guess there's one, two, three. I, I don't remember it ever being this close. Whereas one, two, three, four, five teams within two games in the loss column there. So um, if you're Vanderbilt and you take two of three, you're probably you know I you can look at all the scenarios, but two of three almost locks it up, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, well, two or three locks up the East, I would think, because I just um, Tennessee. I, I don't know. Um, I think that's a tough order at South Carolina at a time where Carolina's pitching is getting well. Arkansas, if Arkansas wins two games, it's going to win the whole thing because of the tiebreaker. But to what you said, yeah, I don't ever remember a race with this many teams involved at the top that close. And credit to Barry Allen for this. We talked about this in our SEC podcast yesterday. Florida can finish anywhere from first to seventh, and that tells you a lot about how close this race is. Right, and Florida's a team that's kind of snuck up. You know, they're playing a lot better. They lost that Georgia that 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 Georgia game on Sunday there, but they're literally only a half game behind Vanderbilt there. So uh, going to Arkansas, you you figure they they're going to have a tough time winning more than one game. Though Arkansas has not been. You know, you follow the, the rest of the league closer than I do, Chris, but, you know, obviously they won two run-run games. They could have swept to Tennessee. They could have lost two of three, but they struggled with Georgia the week before. They, you know, lost one of three, but were trailing, I believe, in two of the other games there. So they have not exactly been steamrolling teams of late. Uh, run differential in league play. Arkansas, which is 19-8, and eight, is plus 44. Vanderbilt, which is 17-9, and nine, plus 51. Uh, in all games, run differential, Arkansas plus 169, Vandy plus 177. Yeah, so I'm just looking. That we, we know that what happened in the Tennessee series. Before that, they, they beat Georgia 3-0, lost 7-3, 1-5-3. LSU, they, they, they dominated that series. They lost one game 5-4, but they won the other games comfortably. Um, so, um, yeah, I guess my point, my only point was that they just have not been – 
steamrolling teams right now. So I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shocked if Florida went in there and won two games. I guess. Well, the thing about Florida is Florida's awful on the road. Yeah. I mean, just really, really bad. The, the the splits home and away from home are pretty severe. So, which is strange because it's not like they're like Ole Miss or Mississippi State with this great home field, and you know, um, you just I don't know if it's fluky or what the deal is there, but it's that that's that one's a little surprising. Well, and it dates back to 2019 also, and and maybe maybe that's not the comp to make because a lot of the roster is probably different. Uh, but I mean, and for example, Florida twenty-eight and seven at home, seven and nine on the road. Now let's look at where they've been played. Let's see. They had a game at Florida State, a single game. They got swept at South Carolina. They got beat two or three at Tennessee. They won two or three at Auburn, which is probably the second or third worst team in the league. They won two or three against Kentucky. They could have lost that Friday game. They that was they were losing in the ninth inning and hit, hit that tied it up. It was that was yeah. The game where the, yeah, they yeah. were they were one strike away from being o two in that series. So the games that they have won on the road have been against the the worst teams in the league. Which like if you wanted to pick nits with Vanderbilt, right? They lost a series at Ole Miss. Um, lost a series. Well, they lost a home one to Georgia, and then who was the other one uh, at Florida? Um, but Vanderbilt also won a road series at Tennessee. Won a beat road series State. at Oklahoma State. Beat, um, beat beat Mississippi State at home. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was I was mostly going to the road, okay. but yeah. But anyway, I, I think that I I'm not I'm not very optimistic about Florida going and taking two of three. At Arkansas, um, just just not much. Florida is not the team that Florida's been. The defense up the middle has been really poor, other than Judd Fabian. The pitching is nowhere near what we've seen, like the vintage Kevin O'Sullivan teams, uh, especially out of the starting rotation. I know that everybody kind of views Florida through that number one overall lens, and look, maybe maybe they end up playing like that, more like it, and and sometimes in the postseason you turn it on, but. That, to me, is clearly, from what we've seen, nowhere near the Florida team that I think everybody expected. Yeah, I mean, at this point in the season, the record doesn't lie. I mean, they've, they've, they've gotten hot at certain times, but, you know, they've kind of, to quote Bill Parcells, you are who you are, and, and, and no sport is probably more indicative of that than baseball because there's so many games. Uh, football, we know you can be 8-4. and four. There's not much difference between 8 Six and six, and a lot of teams are eight and four and ten and two. But uh, at this point of the season, it's kind of hard to argue with what you are in baseball. Yeah. Well, Mitch, uh, thank you for your time today. I want to give you a moment to promote whatever you guys are doing at the Athletic. All right, Chris. Well, um, yeah, trying to think. Not too much going on. Just college football. We continue to roll out what we call our state of the programs. One on each, uh, one day on each team. The Joe Rexford with the Vanderbilt one. It's been up for a couple of weeks. You can check that out. Um, so yeah, just uh, just uh, normal stuff. And my, you always ask my Twitter handle, and I'm not going to get it wrong this time. It's not Athlon Mitch. It's at Mitch Life. All right, good job with that, sir. Thank, Thank you, you for joining us, and we will hope to catch up with you next week. Where I will, I think, be in Hoover all week, uh, probably okay. as long as Vanderbilt is there, and and probably perhaps even longer than that to cover the SEC. But anyway. It's one of my favorite times of the year, and I'm looking forward to discussing it with you over the next couple of weeks. 
Sounds good, Chris. Take care. All right. He's Mitch Light of The Athletic. I'm Chris Lee, host of the Vaney Sports Podcast. Appreciate you listening.